a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter, an extraordinarily qualified man to be speaking about international politics as we are about to do in this episode. He's got three PhDs. The man is a walking, talking manifesto on <laughs> anything internationally politics related. You could throw anything at him on the street if you encountered him and he would know the answers or know some history about it. It's incredible. That's why he hosts this podcast. Today we're talking about al-Baghdadi. Now this story has dominated um, headlines since his death, mm-hmm. um, but who was he? He was the leader of ISIS. I mean, they have rampaged around the world, causing destruction everywhere. This has came as good news to everyone, but Keith, it's quite a complex story behind all of this. Yes, it's certainly a complex story. So Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi's, that's his non de guerre. In other words, it's a name that he took for the purposes of conducting a war. His real name was Ibrahim al-Samari. So Abu Bakr is one of the early Islamic leaders so that so he takes over that name because it resonates with the flock and al Baghdadi because that's broadly the area that he comes from. So you know I'd be Keith Souter from London or something like that. So that's the way it goes. So this guy was caught in an American raid and blew himself up, taking a number of other people with him. So this took place a few days ago. So I thought it'd be useful just to look at some of the background to all of this. So Abu Bakr al Baghdadi is basically a product of the American invasion of Iraq in 2003. So cast your mind back to 2001. That's when we have the 9-11. In other words, the September 11 attacks in the United States. And that was conducted, we assume, by Al-Qaeda. I've got to say, the more I learn, the less I understand about what happened at that time. But let's assume that Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden were responsible for those attacks. So... You get, therefore, al-Qaeda, which declared war on the United States 20-odd years ago, right? So it's a it's a Sunni group, never claimed any territory, and bin Laden himself moved around because things would get too hot for him in East Africa, so he then ended up in Afghanistan. After the 9-11 attacks, the Americans said, we want him. Af- Afghanistan refused to hand him over, and so then began what is now their longest war. So they invaded Afghanistan, which is where they still are today, although Trump is trying to get out of Afghanistan. So that's 2001. So all the way along, President Bush believed that the real problem was not al-Qaeda, but Saddam Hussein in Iraq, right? So I know, it's, it's, I can tell by look on your face, it's a difficult leap of logic. Basically, he wanted to complete the job that his father, he thought his father had not completed. So if you cast your mind back to 1990, August of 1990, Iraq invades Kuwait. We're still not sure about the American involvement in that. And there's one key conversation that April Glaspie, the American ambassador, who's an Arabist, right? So she was somebody who was appointed on talent, not like the usual people that we get in Australia who made big donations to whoever the governing party was. This was a skilled Arabist speaking to Saddam Hussein, did she give the green or amber light to his invading Kuwait? We simply don't know, right? So Saddam Hussein invades Iraq, 1990. In 1991, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush, so the father of the later George Bush, 
Bush 1. They call them Bush 41 and Bush 43. So they're the numbers of the president. So, so Bush puts together a brilliant international coalition, including Australia, to drive Iraq out of Kuwait. So Kuwait is liberated in 1991. Bush says we have liberated Kuwait. We're not going to chase Saddam Hussein back into Iraq because he knew that his coalition would break up at that point. So Saddam Hussein was then uh, driven out of Kuwait but remained in power in Iraq between 1991 all the way through until you get the election of Bush 43, which is the son, and he says, well, I'm going to complete my father's work. So as soon as 9-11 occurred, his first question was, was Saddam Hussein behind it? The answer is no. Saddam Hussein didn't like the Americans, but he was never a fanatical Muslim. Uh, he was a socialist. So if you look at the pictures of the parliament that he had, you had women as parliamentarians. The whole of the parliament was a dead loss, but at least you had women. If anybody uh, was a model for Saddam Hussein, it was Joseph Stalin, including even the moustache. Of course. That's, that's, mm. the, that's the example that he followed. So he was a socialist rather than an Islamic fundamentalist. So we have, therefore, the attack in 2001. George W. Bush decides this is the excuse I need to take on Saddam Hussein. So he then invades Iraq in 2003. Remember, they're already bogged down in Iraq dealing with bin Laden. So they take their eye off that ball. Oh, Afghanistan? Off or Afghanistan. Yeah. And they then move into Iraq in 2003. And, of course, what is interesting is that in 1990 Bush Sr., was able to create an international coalition, including Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, when it comes to the invasion of Iraq, says we're not going to support you on this. We don't like Saddam Hussein, but you're talking about one person, one vote. If you do that, you hand Iraq over to the Shia majority, right? We're talking about Sunni, mm. right? So Saudi Arabia is saying this is stupid to have one person, one vote. Democracy is not going to work in Iraq. Bush ignored all of that, went ahead with the invasion. The only two countries that assisted him were Australia and the United Kingdom. Went ahead with this invasion in 2003. Weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> exactly. And so we then end up then with this uh, war going on in Iraq and one of the people picked up by the Americans after the invasion in 2003 is Ibrahim al-Samari, just you know, an ordinary I was going to say an ordinary terrorist, but he was just basically an ordinary terrorist. He then gets radicalised by the experience of being in prison. So remember, he's already got fanatical Sunni ideas, right? He is terrified of a country being dominated by the Shia majority. The Shia have been persecuted by the Sunni for decades. You put them back in, you put them in control, they're going to carry out retaliation against mm. the Sunni. So he is actually radicalised. The Americans let him go, not because they, they wanted to create an Islamic state or anything like that. They just, it was just an error. They, they let the guy go. They didn't have enough evidence uh, to convict him of any major crime. But his time in prison radicalised him. So he then leaves and says, all right, we're going to now augment the work of the Al-Qaeda in Iraq, Mesopotamia. So he then creates, if you like, the Iraqi end of bin Laden's franchised outfit. Right? Anybody can call themselves part of the Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda means the base in mm -hmm. Arabic. So he creates this 
Iraqi one. He says, look, the Western media really focus on violence. I'm going to play them at their own game. So he then wrote this uh, terrorist manual saying you've got to make sure you involve a maximum amount of torture and scaring people and film it. Remember, we've now got the internet. So we upload all this stuff. So it's interesting to note this guy who then goes later under this name of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was involved in some really brutal activities. So I've got down here, June the 14th, 2014. This is what we know of him. This is what we know of him. And he said, you know, it's called the Theatre of Terrorism. That's the name of the Mm. manual. Well, you can tell in those production pieces they put together with the slowed down music and the flag and the, like the dramatization of yep. it, really real propaganda. Absolutely. So they massacred uh, seventeen hundred Shia cadets of the Iraqi military, whom they'd taken captive in the most awful ways. There was a Jordanian pilot. Oh God, that uh, was awful. I saw the footage of that. Yeah, that was horrific. Set light to him in a cage. Actually, people listening will probably remember that. So the plane, the Jordanian pilot, was attacking over Syria. Yeah. The plane crashed. He was taken hostage by ISIS. They put him in a cage and then filmed when they lit and burned him alive. Yeah. It was horrific. So all this time you've got Bin Laden who's realising his franchise is being wrecked by these extremists because he said, look, these extremists are just damaging the brand. So... Al-Baghdadi decides, therefore, he's going to create a separate group. Al-Qaeda are too feeble. Mm. You need a tough group. So he creates the Islamic State, which is, again, playing the Western media at their own game. It wasn't the state. Okay, certainly controlled a lot of territory in both Iraq and then later Syria. That's why it became, uh, you know, the Islamic State in Iraq and then Syria. That gives you your ISIL. So he then calls it just the Islamic State and then runs it in an incredibly brutal way, obviously going after the Shia Muslims. He's playing the Shia Muslim card, the Sunnis who are the victims, and he also goes after the Yazidis who are another ethnic group in that country. So really brutal person. The problem with that excessive use of violence is that you end up uniting all the surrounding countries around you against you. So, okay, he was brilliant at recruiting people. Uh, You know, there's a tragic story of young Canadian girls who got entrapped watching cat videos and somehow managed to get all the way on their parents' money to um, Istanbul and then taken overland, became brides of the Islamic State warriors. And, of course, you know, we've got this issue now. We've got Australians who are trapped in Syria. These are women who went over to become brides of these warriors. So very sophisticated operation. But because of the brutality and because of the misuse of the Quran, uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, made it quite clear that prisoners of war were to be respected, right? So Islamic State are actually rewriting the Quran. They don't necessarily represent mainstream opinion, but he played the Sunni card very well in a country where the Sunni are in the minority and they feel they're all going to be persecuted by the Shia who are in control. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. In this episode, we're talking about al-Baghdadi, who uh, was the leader of ISIS, who was killed very recently in a strike by the US, but then he blew himself up in the end. So, I don't know, is he cornered? What was the story? He was cornered, and uh, and he even used to sleep in that uh, suicide vest. (laughs) So even if you'd caught him, you know, at the middle of the night, he would have blown himself up. No, because he was always with that suicide vest. Because he never expected to live as long as he did. Because he said, if you look back over the history of the martyrs, 
the Americans track people down, they're on their mobile phones, whatever, or they catch messengers, one way or another. Clearly the Americans, perhaps working with the Russians, perhaps working with the Turks, perhaps working with the Kurds. Someone will get me. So, so <laughs> managed to track him down and he blew himself up. So the real issue now is that thankfully this guy's off the scene, but it is not the end of the Islamic State, right? The Islamic State, so-called Islamic State, has been pushed out of the territory, which it claimed. Remember, bin Laden never declared control over any piece of territory. Mm. He was always a guest in someone else's country. Uh, Afghanistan, and then, of course, living in retirement in Pakistan, down the road from the military academy. Mm. Whereas Islamic State said, this is the new era of Islam. Muslims around the world must respect me because we now have our own state so a bit of Syria, a bit of Iraq. They've now lost control of that. So there's been a, an international operation in which the Americans have played an ambiguous role, and as well as Saudi Arabia. Remember, Saudi is also Sunni. Hmm. So, you know, are the Sunnis supporting other Sunnis? We don't know. It's all very chaotic. But the Russians were certainly very clear about what they were doing, and so the Assad regime. And so the Islamic State has been beaten but still in existence as a brand. So it's now become like Al-Qaeda. So you can end up with people saying, yes, we identify with Al-Qaeda. We're not going to claim any territory, not at the moment. We will do eventually if we're lucky and manage to win global support from Muslims around the world. But at the moment, we are claiming to be an end or a branch of Islamic State. So that reach of the Islamic State runs from Boko Haram over on the west coast of Africa through the Middle East, and then into the Philippines and parts of Malaysia. That is the Islamic world. And you've got people who identify with the Islamic State or bin Laden throughout all of that world. So, yes, it's great that we've got rid of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. The bad news is that the problem, he was simply a symptom. He wasn't the cause of the problem. Generally, he talks about a hundred-year war. I just call it the long war, mm. simply running on for decades as Islam has to come to terms with the modern world. Um, how do Sunni and Shia get to live together peacefully, as they've done in the past? How do they get to do it again? There's also a whole issue, which I won't go into, about the what, what is called form criticism. So form criticism was invented to try to understand Christianity. And so for the last 100 years, we have been able to examine the original documents of Christianity or copies of early documents and begin to know more about Christianity. And a lot has been uncovered. That same process has not been allowed for Islam. So you are not allowed to get to the documents of Islam, but they're now beginning to be exposed. The Quran was written in 1924. It's actually a new book, even though it goes back 1,300 years. But the formulation of it is a version that we all accept from 1924. So it's really very interesting. So form criticism is now being used on manuscripts that are being located in Yemen and, and Saudi Arabia, etc. And this is going to trigger an immense debate within the Islamic world. The questions about who was the Prophet Muhammad? Did he really exist? Was it Mecca? Was it somewhere else that might have been the, the location? Huge numbers of issues 
for the purposes of our personal safety. I'm not going to go into those details. I'm simply highlighting that, that when it comes to issues within the Islamic world, you've not only got all the issues of modernity, how do you reconcile a faith which is 1,300 years old with people in the world, modern world? What does it mean to be a Muslim in Glasgow, for example? You don't need to keep breaking every few hours to refresh yourself with water. Water's falling on you all the time if you're living in Glasgow or Edinburgh. So you've, you've got all these issues of reconciling the faith of the modern world. You've got the issue of what do you do about women in the religion? Uh, children want to have consumer goods. You notice a number of girls or women who walk around Sydney, they're obviously wearing matters of Islamic clothing, but they're very fashionable. So you've got all of these issues. How do you reconcile the faith to the modern world? So this is what we mean by the long war. You've got all of these different issues that need to be sorted and it's basically a problem within the Islamic world. And so you get figures like... Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi coming along, he was talking about an earlier version, as he understands it, of Islam, which is much more hardline, etc. Remember when the Taliban took over control in Afghanistan, they smashed the television sets, they banned men from shaving, they banned music. music. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> terrible. So this, but you see that they were able to uh, pitch their appeal to conservatives who felt very threatened by the pace of change. And so Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi Bin Laden and the Taliban all represent that very conservative strand in Islam, which has somehow got to become reconciled with the modern world. So in summary, it's great news that Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi has been killed or killed himself. The bad news is that we're going to end up with this continuing long war. I take the long war as beginning in 1979 with the Iranian revolution, which is the Shia revolution, mm. which then flowed into the Sunni world. If it runs on for 100 years, we've still got another 40-odd years, 50, 60 years to go. And this is not just you that has that opinion, by the way. This is most um, specialists that's in right. the field of, Mus of the Muslim world. Yeah. That, that, and the Middle East particularly. That's Absolutely. what they see happening as well. Yeah. Good. So uh, <laughs> lots of peace ahead then, Keith. Absolutely. Lots of difficulties still to go. Good news that he's gone. Bad news the damage that he did remains and the lives that have been ruined by him. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app. 